Let's talk a bit about butterflies. Everyone likes butterflies, right? Maybe not getting butterflies, just real butterflies. Imagine butterflies, and you likely have a mental picture of them perched on flowers when the sun is shining in warm weather. They show up in terminology, like the butterfly effect. They are seen in tattoos all over the world. But there's no caterpillar effect. There are no chrysalis tattoos that I know of. Maybe there should be, though, because you don't get a butterfly without its early stages of life. And like butterflies, artists can be known for their mature form while their early profile becomes a kind of footnote. Music artists can go through their own phases of growth, their own transformations as they mature, and we tend to focus on what they grew into more than what shapes they took beforehand. Amethyst Kia is emerging as an artist with a sound that at first could seem unrelated to the roots music she cut her teeth on as a student in the bluegrass, old-time, and country music studies program at East Tennessee State University. But we don't have the guitar-driven sound of her forthcoming album, Wary and Strange, without the banjo-leaning years of her previous solo work and her collaboration with Roots Music supergroup Our Native Daughters, where, as she will explain, something clicked that helped her to write from a new vantage point, to appear as her new self. We can't jump to the electric remake of her song Black Myself, the first single from Wary and Strange, without considering this song, her version of the folk ballad Darlin' Corey, from her first album, Dig. Welcome to our episode on Amethyst Kia. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, and coming up, you will hear my conversation with Amethyst, where we touch on how her seemingly overnight success with Our Native Daughters was really a 10-year process, how her newest songs have roots in a traumatic period in her life, about having her eyes open to, as she puts it, the historical lie that has been spread about folk music, working with Tony Berg, her producer for Wary and Strange, who's well known for making records with artists like Phoebe Bridgers, Andrew Bird, and Squeeze. Plus, we get a preview of Amethyst's forthcoming album with the very rocking new version of her award-winning song, Black Myself. All that and more in this episode of Southern Songs and Stories. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW, at WNCW.org. I spoke with Amethyst by phone in late summer 2020, soon after seeing her perform at the No Contact Concert Series, 
a live-streamed series which also featured previous Southern Songs and Stories guests like Chatham County Line, Alonzo Wesley, Darren and Brooke Aldridge, and Acoustic Syndicate. That show featured some of her new songs, which ranged from acoustic performances of tunes like Firewater to full band versions of standouts like Sleeping Queen, all of which made me realize what a leap she was making. But I started the interview by going back to her time in Our Native Daughters, asking her how it felt when she burst onto the national scene and about her role in the quartet. It really changed my life. It was a very incredibly pivotal and important moment, um, not only in my career, but also um, in my just my development as an artist um, and, and in my, in my personal emotional self too. Like it was just very, it was very powerful. Um, and, you know, Rhiannon Giddens, you know, she conceived of this, this project um, where we were, you know, essentially exploring the transatlantic slave trade, the horrors of that and how that played out in, you know, human relationships throughout the history of, you know, the Americas and, um, and kind of looking at from that time, really trying to cover nearly 400 years of history and a record in a lot of ways. Um, so it was, it was quite the feat and quite the challenge. Um, but I'm, I'm so happy that she asked me to be part of it. Um, and it, um, for me personally, when I got into this project, I was having some writer's block and I'd actually gone in and recorded, um, a, a new record. Um, but it was a lot of songs that I, it was a lot of, um, it was a lot of songs that I either had already doing acoustic versions of, or, um, or they were like, you know, old time songs that I'd played a really long time ago like it just wasn't like a fully formed vision of like where I was in that time and so I recorded this record and my solo record right before doing Songs for Native Daughters and after I did Songs for Native Daughters then I was able to like write a whole bunch of other songs after that like it just because mainly because of the co-writing aspect you know I co-wrote um, a few songs with Allison, and then I also co-wrote a song with Allison and Rhiannon. And um, and after that, you know, after that experience, it just I don't know, just something clicked in my brain, um, and then I was able to continue and and um, and uh, go back in the studio two more times to do my solo record after that. So um, anyway, I say all that to say that you know this this project um, was from a historical standpoint. From a cultural standpoint, it was super important to do this, um, especially now in, 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 in current year um, where, you know, race relations is now has become like a mainstream topic. Um, it's, it was so important to do that record and the fact that I was able to connect with three other women who are, we were all familiar with what it's like to be, um, to be, black women, black people within a, a field or a genre of music that that's widely perceived as white. Um, and this project was also meant to uh, challenge that by 
putting the banjo as like a focal point and reclaiming, you know, that origin, that ancestry of it being from West Africa. And to further drive home the point that like these styles of music, you know, Americana and all and everything underneath that umbrella, um, West African folk music played a huge role in the development of American music. So there's so many layers of things happening with this record. There's the cultural aspect. There's us personally as black people in a, in a field of music that's considered white and how we are, you know, expressing, you know, you know, our version of what does it, what does it mean to be black, you know? And um, there's just so many layers of things happening there. And um, again, uh, and, but then, and the icing on the cake is it, my writer's talk. So um yeah, it's just been a. It's it was a, it, and and the response to the to the to the project um, was just you know we didn't really know, you know when we did this you know we we realized well you know this is um, this is a project we're doing with Smithsonian as part of the African American Legacy series that's 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 there um, and you know we're you know we're we're just we're we're putting these songs together and we're gonna put it out there and. Then once it was released, it just the response was so overwhelming. And then to be nominated for different awards with Americana UK, Americana um, Music Association, and you know then for Black Myself to be nominated for a Grammy, like all these things started happening. And um, yeah, I mean I don't think any of us ever imagined like I mean we knew it was going to go somewhere, but we just didn't realize how far it would go and how open people would be to listening to the subject matter um that we're talking about so um so yeah i i'm just i just feel i'm just happy that everything has happened the way that it has so far i imagine the reaction to songs of our native daughters was exciting perhaps bordering on overwhelming i mean i'm trying to figure like a lot of people that hadn't heard of you up to that point and here you are it's like you drop out of the sky and you're fully formed and and they probably didn't know what to do with themselves. Was that some of the reaction that that you got? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. It, it, that that was a, a a lot of the reaction, and a lot of the sort of overwhelming was like people being like, "Where?" I see a lot of comments I saw were, "Where? Where was this person? Like, where has this person been?" It was kind of. Like, you know, it's like there's this is there's a 10 year there's like a, you know, a a 10 year process to get to this point. You know what I mean? So. um, So, yeah, the response was definitely overwhelming. And, um, you know, it was really a moment for me to really, like, step back and realize, like, okay I'm, you know, I'm in I'm in the, the spotlight now more than I think I ever have. And. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with this moment? There's this moment now where people are now waiting for a record. They're wanting to see more. And, you know, not to say that I haven't been delivering or doing things before, but like there's there's this added pressure, you know, to the attention. It's like, yes, I'm getting the attention, but it's like now I really have to step back and see, like, you know, am I real? Am I doing all that I can do, or what? What more can I do? You know, to to kind of keep things, to kind of keep things going. Um, 
yeah. So it just added a whole other layer of like of awesome feedback, obviously, but then also like this this awareness of like okay, like things are continuing to pop and grow, and like it's you know, it, it, so it's really caused me to sit back and think a lot more about you know who I am as an artist and where I want to go which was why, you know, I went back in the studio two more times because it's like, whatever I release next, like, that's going to be my debut. I mean, people aren't going to see, you know, Dig as my debut album or, or you know, the, sec- or the, second, the second EP that I put out with, with the band um, that, you saw me, that you saw me play with last week or a couple weeks ago. Like, this is going to be the first time anybody's going to even know anything about me when this happens so and honestly like it's having that kind of you know swift kick in the ass if you will i don't know if i'm i don't to say that but um <laughs> having that swift kick really um just just added a, added a challenge and really kind of put me to task and i've really been enjoying it i've been enjoying like taking things to the next level. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and the next level apparently doesn't involve banjos. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think with the banjo, and it's kind of funny because, you know, I have, for the longest time, like, the thing with the banjo, when it, for the longest time, one of the main instances that, people like knew me for for a while was my version of darling Corey. so like and then on top of that being part of this project our native songs our native daughters where the banjo is like a focal point but as time has gone on with me writing songs like most of it's been going it's been going in a guitar direction so um not to say that i'm not i'm not hanging up the banjo by any means but it's just not really it's just not really made an appearance in this later this later sort of incantation of songs so um so yeah i don't know it's uh it's just things are changing a little bit um but um you know even well oddly enough you know this there's a song on the new record where i ended up uh i was working with tony Berg, he's the pro- producer for the record um he had me play, he's like, hey, try playing this baritone guitar on one of these songs as opaque. And I loved it. So I just recently bought a baritone guitar because, like, they they sound awesome. And they actually works really well for what I do. And I'm just more or less, I guess I'm not surprised that I didn't pick one up earlier. But it was kind of like, it's never something I would have thought I would use. But, um, so yeah, so I'm kind of branching out into other um adding other sounds and things to the musical arsenal.
That's Amethyst Kia and her chest of glass from her EP of the same name, with her version of the blues standard Trouble So Hard, a song first brought into wide circulation by Alan Lomax, who recorded Vera Ward Hall and Doc Reed performing it in 1937. Although Amethyst's version is electric, many songs alongside it on the EP feature acoustic guitar prominently. Amethyst Kia and her chest of glass gives a glimpse of where she is now, with one foot in roots music and the other stepping into a world all her own. It may be a surprise to learn that Amethyst learned about roots music only after taking a class at East Tennessee State University. The only bluegrass she had heard before then was the Beverly Hillbillies theme song. And I also was really, really interested in um, the origins of the music because as I continued on, I started to get a sense and a feel, um, not from everybody, but definitely a certain vibe from certain people. Um, And this idea that, you know, bluegrass or old time or Celtic music is something that white people play. And I got that sense. And there are people that believe that. Um, And so what really, so at first I was like, well, you know, do I really want to be in an environment where I feel like I'm constantly up against people who don't think I should be there? Um, Because that's kind of what I had was kind of experiencing up until that point. But um, what I learned was, and this was with my um, uh, Jack Tot or not Jack Tottle, but um, Dr. Ted Olson. Um, I took his American folk music class, and that's when my eyes were open to like the kind of lie that the historical lie or omission that's been spread about folk music. I mean, we can all agree, you know, people seem to think that you know the blues is like the only you know, roots music that black people had any part of. And that's not the case, you know. Um, and that's when I started learning. And I'm like, well, if anybody has anything to say about me being here, I can just point to history, which honestly, I shouldn't, I don't think, I don't think anybody should have a birthright on a type of music. There were Jap- there were Japanese exchange students playing bluegrass. There's a whole bluegrass scene in the Czech Republic. Like, there shouldn't have to be a birthright to music. The fact that I even had to come up with that as, like, well, I can point to history is, you know, kind of sucks, you know. I, that shouldn't even be. But bigger than just that is the is this idea that within history, and this has happened time and time again, where, um, you know, certain contributions aren't recognized. And so that's what really, like, kind of sunk it in for me. And also hearing, you know, seeing the Carolina Chocolate Drops and seeing what they were doing. Just having this positive reinforcement of, like, you know, I shouldn't let other people's thoughts or opinions deter me. And then come to find out, when I I landed on old-time music, I came across some open-minded folks that understood the history of the music. And I, you know, was able to find my place. So... Um, so yeah, and really in the past like few years, you know, what I've really been wanting to do, and I feel like I've finally been able to do it with this record is to reconcile, um, is to reconcile my, my love 
for Roots Music with the ability to be able to write original material and to combine my roots influences with my pop and alternative music influences. Do you think much about what elements of Southern culture might show themselves in your music? Either in any sense, you know, like a very specific way, lyrically, or in a broader, more specific or more regional sense, you know, outside of East Tennessee or just exactly where you're from? I mean, if I had to describe this album, I would say that it's, um, and I've used this term before in the past, but I kind of veered away from it because I thought it sounded maybe a little too pretentious, but um, um, it's definitely like Southern Gothic, which is typically, it's been used historically as a literary term to describe stories that have that take place in the South that have lots of Southern themes as the backdrop, but then the actual story is, um, is a little creepy or a little macabre or in some instances, even supernatural. Um, and with this record, you're going to hear, I mean, you're going to hear, you're going to hear a little bit of country. You're going to hear blues. Um, and you're going to hear, there's like a couple of, there's like a couple of phrases that I kind of um, use that are definitely Appalachian. Um, there's a song, there's a song called Firewater that I wrote. Um, where one of the lines is, I'm a ghost in the hall, a haint in the room. And haint is um, the Southern Appalachian um term for haunt it's spelled h-a-i-n-t so there's like little nuggets of things in there um but um but to say what specifically i guess regionally southern versus i guess broadly southern i don't i can't exactly answer that other than i mean somebody listening would probably be able to pick that up better than me I'm, i'll be the first to say i'm definitely not like a history buff per se. I'm more of, I love how this sounds or how this feels. And I might look and I'll look it up and be like, Oh, that's really cool. Like, and then get some background on what I'm doing. But, but I'm really just like, I get so focused on the sound and like how that works and how it resonates. Um, that's kind of where my brain lies a lot of the time. So, um, but but yeah, I mean, this is definitely, you know, with this record, what's, what's crazy about this record, and again, it's, you know, working with Tony has been incredible because he's been able to, we've been able, we've been obviously been keeping the integrity of the song, like, you know, the, obviously the same melody, maybe a few different chord changes for some songs to kind of, to, to change things up. But then also there's like a use of, um, of like, different sound effects and like samples throughout the record as well. And so like this is a, so this record is definitely Southern, but it's got this, it's got this like, it's just this, this really incredible kind of like, like a, like a magical realism kind of quality where you're, where you're hearing a song like 
you're hearing something that's familiar. You're hearing a style of music that's familiar, but with some of the instrument choices and some of the sound sampling choices, it's it's different enough where you're like, well, I could hear this song. You know, I can I, I can I can feel and hear this song, but there's this other layer that's added on top of it that just makes it sound just a little weird, you know. And I don't know. I'm trying to. I feel like I'm trying to describe a color because I really it's hard to describe what this album sounds like. Uh, but Tony said to me, "I've never heard anything like this album," and he's been like, he's been, he's been in the business for like forty plus years. So, like, for him to have his breadth of knowledge and experience and then to say, like, I've not heard anything like this before um, is really saying something. And, I mean, with my short stint of listening to music and being a musician, it's really hard to pinpoint, you know, um, which is why I say Southern Gothic might be the closest thing I can think of to describe it. But um, it's just – it's hard to believe that I'm even – I know I wrote the songs, but to hear – you know, what's, you know, to hear how they've, how they've turned out now is just, um, is just really incredible. And I, I, it's like, it's really something when you can put in your own record and like really vibe on it, you know, like, I feel like, you know, in this whole process, I've been listening to the songs I've recorded and I've been like, I don't know, there's something missing. Like there's something not quite right. And I feel like for the first time I've been able to sit down and be like, oh yeah, this is cool. Like, I would buy this record, you know?
That was Black Myself from her album Wary and Strange, which, as Amethyst alluded to in our conversation, represents a kind of musical destination point for her. With it, she has arrived at the sound she has been searching for all these years. But there's more to this music than the instrumentation and production, by far. There was also an equally long emotional journey to get here. All of these songs that are on the record, I guess, have really been written over the past, roughly over the past seven, five to seven years. Um, with a couple of the songs being written, like one song in particular, I'd started writing back in 2009, but I didn't have the, the, but what I was writing about, I didn't have the experience yet. And then I had it later. And then I'm like, okay, well, I guess I can sing about this now. Cause I've always just felt weird about singing, singing songs that like I can't relate to in some way, you know, um, that's just, I've just always kind of been that way, which is why I would make a terrible, um, I'd make a terrible uh, cover act because I I just can't bring myself to sing songs that I can't relate to. Um, but anyway, so um, so all of the songs come from a time when I had a lot of unresolved trauma, and so I was making decisions and doing things. Um, that were subconsciously being driven by this trauma that I hadn't really, um, that I hadn't really dealt with. Um, one of those traumas being that my, my mom committed suicide when I was 17. Um, and prior to that, my parents' marriage was, you know, I grew up in like a middle-class, middle-class neighborhood, you know, had, you know, had anything I could have ever wanted um, but my parents started having problems in the marriage and that's a whole other story that I can, you know, save for a rainy day. But, you know, there was like, there was just, there was just like a breakdown in communication. There was a disagreement on like the best way to raise me. There was just a lot of things between them that were starting to bubble to the surface and, um, neither one of them was handling it very well. Um, and you know, Unfortunately, um, you know, my mom apparently in her mind thought that we'd be better off without her. And so, you know, that ended up happening. Um, and then me and my dad pretty much had to like start over from scratch um, and kind of rebuild our, try to rebuild our lives to, to something, you know? Um, so, but during, you know, between the ages of 17 and then moving forward, you know, for like the next 10 years, I kind of would just push down my grief. I became very, I was already kind of, I was already socially anxious in high school, but then even after that, I was even more guarded. I put my guard up even more. And I, you know, because I, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to develop super close relationships because I didn't want to like feel abandoned. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be disappointed. And, you know, and that comes from that feeling of abandonment. So I really put myself at a distance from people for a really long time. And like when you live kind of like in a semi alienated place like that, it's, um, it's really hard to relate to people. And so when I started to have like a social life, 
um, you know, after I graduated from undergrad, um, you know, I also, I went back in the closet when I moved to Johnson, when I moved from Chattanooga to Johnson city, because I was afraid that like people wouldn't accept me or something because I was a smaller town. So I went back in the closet as well. So I didn't, you know, I didn't date. I didn't have a social life. I didn't really get personal with people. And then when I started, when I decided, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, I got comfortable enough by the time I was 27 to be like, well, you know what? I want to like live my life. I want to be social. I don't want to be alone or whatever. And so I started dating and I started, you know, you know, going, going to social things and alcohol was a way for me to like try to um, numb my social anxiety. So anyway, as time went on, there was just, you know, a series of, of events that occurred with relationships, with, um, with um, my own like fear of, um, my own, I guess my own fear of like really taking that risk and stepping out there and really trying to, you know, do music full time. Cause I graduated, went to undergrad and then went to, went to grad school because I was afraid. I mean, I was essentially afraid to like try to take a stab at everything full time because I'd been so used to going to school and feeling safe. So there's just so many things, but all of it was wrapped up. All the things I was making was wrapped up in like this basic fear of, being abandoned of feeling of you know and obviously like these are you know these were things that like were despite the success that I was having in school and where my career was going I still was holding myself back with this unresolved trauma so I started going to therapy and um and all of these songs are representative of that of that time period where I wasn't really confronting or dealing with um, my emotions on a really deep level and it was manifesting itself in other ways. So um, this album was really that it was, this album is really sort of like, I guess, purging myself of that fear and of my own self sabotage of making bad choices and then also you know being with people or being in relationships that were feeding into my own self-loathing where I was seeing people that didn't really care about me. It was a lot to unpack and not easy to do so but I know she is glad to conquer those fears. It's great that she made it through intact and remarkable that she was able to use that experience as inspiration. Thanks to Amethyst Kia for sharing her time with us and for being on the show. Thanks to you for listening, and I hope you might reach out to someone you know who is a fan of Amethyst Kia or Our Native Daughters, or who might be, and let them know about this podcast. You can subscribe to the series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Pandora, NPR One, most every platform where you can find podcasts. And once you subscribe, it helps even more when you give it a good rating and a review. Spreading awareness by giving this series a top rating, and even more so with a review, will make Southern songs and stories and the artists it profiles more likely to be found by more people just like you. Southern songs and stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all of the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. 
You can also hear new episodes of this podcast on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on WNCW, where we worked with Joshua Ming, who wrote and performed our theme songs. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. <laughs>